Heidi ho ladies and gents, and welcome to the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me each week is one real ace, Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? For the record, Matt, I find you repulsive, but it's time to focus on episode 107, the penultimate episode of Agent Carter, titled Snafu, brought to you by Bouncing Baby Buggies. Bouncing Baby Buggies allow you to bring your baby even to the movies. Matt, it's a real gas. Nothing can possibly go wrong there. By the way, Pete, let me now address the hearts and minds of every dandy dame and lucky lad listening. With this season of the Agent Carter radio program in its final few weeks, we hope all our new chums out there in Radioland keep joining us for the marvelous Marvel Parade that's ahead. If you search the iTunes for Fantastic Geek, that's fantastic with the PH, you'll see the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast and the Daredevil podcast. Want to get it all wrapped up like one of those hamburgers from the McDonald's stand? Subscribe to the Pop Culture Podcast on iTunes. That gets every Marvelous Marvel episode and more. Not an Apple person? Head over to FantasticGeek.com for all our episodes, feed links, and more. But now we return to that beautiful Brit, that Sheba of the Shield. It's Peggy Carter. News of the In this segment, we run down the top stories in the episode and give you the latest and the greatest and the need to know. Pete, where do we start? Russia, 1943. And Dr. Ivchenko is summoned to the medical tent there. Uh, Matt, did you notice what he was reading? Uh, was it Dr. Faustus? Uh, he's suddenly telling uh, a soldier here to feel no pain. They are out of anesthetic and uh, gets them to concentrate as they're about to amputate the leg. Says, take me to your life before the war. And a uh, pretty cool uh, flashback type of effect, which obviously sets up uh, the main event later in the episode. But uh, Private Nocheki is uh, suddenly with Mama, and they're playing a game and having a picnic, and uh, makes it all go away as his leg is going away. By the way, Pete, I don't know if this was written, what I'm about to say, or decided on the day, said by the writer, the actor, the director, the whatever, but bottom line is the show nails it with a very small detail in the private's memory flash you know fantasy he steps up uh, and he puts pressure on his right leg and he's about to have his left one amputated that's the wounded leg just a wonderful wonderful little detail where it's like on some level he's favoring the good leg and not using the bad leg um it, it, it was just it was a tiny tiny detail but i thought it was so good it was by the way, Pete, just wanted to share a quick little anecdote from Mike Sorensen, who said here, missed opportunity, should have been Corporal Barnes with a badly damaged arm. I know that then, well, is it Leviathan, is it Hydra, so on and so forth, but it really would have been awesome if that's who it was, but alas. Would have been cool, but, you know, while it's all connected, Matt, it can't be that connected sometimes. Three years later, we have uh, Sousa. 
um, taking care of Peggy Carter in the interrogation room. He brings up the idea that she's been spotted in all these different places, having put two and two together, talks about Spider Raymond's club and Lee Brannis and now Chris Minsky. And uh, Peggy, uh, Peggy comes right with it. She says, you know, you have impressive evidence, but, uh, you know, uh, you're never... I know you never get to run this far with the ball. Really kind of a low blow out mm. of uh, Peggy towards the uh, hobbled Agent Sousa. And a line, too, that punctuates the scene, which is Sousa's hot-headed, not just for the affect of his interrogation, but Sousa is boiling over with emotion here. And Peggy just remains cool-headed, remains calm the entire time. Let me tell you this. Here's the, you know, trying to just explain it. One, two, three. Um, and the fact that she's able to hit him with a hit him with a, a jab like that, I think, just uh, supports their two different takes within the scene. It does. Dr. Ivchenko, meanwhile, in his unique position, has been allowed to witness the interrogation from the other side of the mirrored window, which will factor in later in the episode. And he uh, concludes that this woman is an excellent liar, perhaps even pathological. Thompson then comes and delivers Chief Dooley the news that Agent Yawk is gone. And all this is going on while on the other side of the mirror, Peggy is saying someone is out there, you know, she's explaining kind of the nature of Dottie. Someone is out there pulling Dottie's strings, Peggy says. All the meanwhile, we are watching Ivchenko pull the chief's strings. And he, of course, is Dottie's string puller, if you will. So just this wonderful kind of uh, subtext going on in the scene. Definitely. Um Thompson is going to go in there for the full press and uh, the chief is determined to turn up the heat. Thompson doesn't think this all adds up knowing Peggy as he's gotten to. And um, they press her with the idea that uh, uh, Howard Stark has scrambled her brain. And I love the line, Matt, Howard Stark has never scrambled my mind or any other part of me <laughs> indeed it really it really was a great line and done uh, amidst kind of this montage of susa thompson and the chief all questioning her rat tat tat style at least that's the implication i don't think that we're meant to literally think they're kind of taking turns like that but of course peggy stands up to them doing a fantastic job you read my notes there that was a wonderfully intercut sequence you know, they want to know about the uh, the orb that contains the vial of um, of Steve's blood. And uh, the chief brings up Finau and Peggy is determined to help them understand they should be looking for Dottie Underwood. She's probably shed her alias already cut to the baby store because it's pink and there's lullaby music. <laughs> uh, Dottie's checking out carriages. Okay. She wants a pink blanket to go with it. The, the woman uh, points out, oh, you, you must re- really be getting a jump on things we don't acknowledge so much in this day and age <laughs> in uh, 1946. And, uh, you know, uh, Peggy says, or Peggy, excuse me, Dottie says, uh, you know, well, it's coming sooner than you think. 
And this, of course, with that kind of lullaby music box uh, music in the background that as she's as she's uh, speaking those words there, the music kind of sours and turns discordant. Yes. It shows that the show really is at the height of its game now, um, just because I think we're meant to think that that music is just kind of in the naturally in the background of the mm-hmm. store and the fact that they kind of push the reality of that to really kind of say what we already know, but really to say Dottie is so incredibly creepy and warped and broken. Uh, it was just a fantastic moment. It was. Um, Peggy uh, tells them, you know what I'm capable of. And then Jarvis enters the, uh, the phone company looking for the chief in the way that only Edwin Jarvis could portrayed by the wonderful James Darcy. Uh, our operator there pushes a button. There was a gun, I believe too, Matt, you had, uh, pointed out i did not see it yeah she kind of reached under her desk for for uh her gun there was a close-up of it and then also you could see it kind of in the longer shot um i like that uh i like that kind of the the fake front um which of course all the all the telephone girls uh are kind of in on it that there's something covert going on you know to what degree that they they may or may not know but just kind of when he's there I have Howard Stark's signed confession. It's just everything stops and all the telephone girls are looking. And um, just an incredibly nice uh, moment uh, with which to end the act. Indeed. Act one begins with a cuffed Peggy being brought in the conference room. And Jarvis explains that the charade is over. He has a signed confession from Howard Stark. Where is he, Matt? Somewhere over Greenland, but it'll be landing at Teterboro Airport sometime soon. It's the New Jersey connection, Pete. It is. Um, of course, the chief will not give Peggy up just for a piece of paper. And uh, he explains that uh, the minute that Stark is in, she is out and out of the SSR. Um, Sousa is compelled to tell the other agents not to let uh, Agent Carter out of their sight. And Jarvis explains he's sorry, he panicked. Peggy asked, did Howard even write the confession? And we learned that Jarvis did. Part of what is so fantastic about this scene is it it suggests that um, whatever tenuous hold we thought we had on where this season, or at least Peggy in the SSR, whether that's this season, this series, if it doesn't come back, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But this portion of her life, we had a sense of where it was going to end up. Um, whether the one shot counts as canon still or et cetera, et cetera, all that aside, we have a certain sense she goes from the SSR to S.H.I.E.L.D. And here, at least, albeit for a little while, Peggy is fired from the SSR. And you say, all right, well, still Stark is going to walk through the door and it's going to be, you know, him standing there kind of triumphant, ready to fire off some one-liners. Nope, now it's a confession and Jarvis couldn't find uh, Stark at all. So this is at a point in the episode where it's like... I. The, the 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 future of the story becomes very unclear and i mean that with with nothing other than a compliment because here we are you know we're, we're getting closer and closer to the end of the season slash series and 
things are increasingly mysterious as to where they're going to turn next. So kudos to uh, to the production. I have to second that. This episode is really the linchpin of the entire Agent Carter mythos, one-shot series, her connection in the movies, all that with the way everything folded in and came together. The fact that uh, Jarvis has tried to call Stark and left messages and done everything else and not gotten an answer and, and that he had to move on this really cements his status as a character he you know he's the butler but he's also somebody who's had to act multiple times here and and make decisions in not just his best interest but in the best interest of others um i love peggy's line here really crisp dialogue throughout this episode but uh have you ever been hanged mr jarvis it's quite unpleasant the the ultimate English understatement because a of course he has not been and b of course it's a tad more uh, than unpleasant. Um, I I noticed too the fact that here they are this deep in their relationship still calling uh, you know each other Mister and uh, and Miss um, probably just time appropriate regardless of which side uh, uh, on the Atlantic you are but just adding to their prim and properness that you know tradition calls for of course that you you refer to each other by mr and miss so of course you'll continue doing it absolutely we pick up with the chief on the phone with his wife in an attempt to reconcile says he wants to come over and uh you know they can uh he can see the kids try to put things back together um Jarvis, meanwhile, uh, says they need to uh, get the drop on uh, the agents there. And again, Carter with the snappy dialogue, you've been in custody for an hour and now you're James Cagney. <laughs> um, of course, that's not the only thing that, uh, that they're noticing there because we have uh, Peggy watching Ivchenko from across the way. Uh, in side note, a really nice use of the set, you know, because Peggy and... Uh, Peggy and Jarvis are in the conference room, glass-walled. Uh, then there's the bullpen, but nothing in their way. Then there's the chief's office. So it really is conceivable that Peggy and Jarvis are in one of the few corners of this office where you could see someone doing exactly what Ivchenko uh, is doing, which is continuing to give his Morse code directions to Dottie across the way. Uh, with, of course, Pete, the, uh, the rather dire uh, news of what? Prepare for evacuation, and we're not talking about somebody having to go to the bathroom. <laughs> By the way, Pete, this was a moment where uh, probably because my 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 poor savage American ears are so uh, so uh, coarse and cannot pick up the finer nature of the king's English, um, I thought that uh, Peggy had said after reading the Morse code that it would be nineteen minutes. Nineteen I- minutes. Well, that's the, what it sounded like, yeah. <laughs> but then, then I thought uh, in a subsequent scene, she as she's not like, 90. so listen, now that I've told you my tale, we need to get the <laughs> heck out of here because something's about to happen. Um, I, I thought that later on she said 90, as in, you know, one more than 89. Um, regardless, I heard though, people, 19 and then 90. So <laughs> I think, yeah. Uh, one of two things, the, the time frame changed or they felt the need, you know what, we're going to say that one again. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Either way, Pete, uh, what is our rather fantastic act end? Leviathan's coming. Boom. Act two begins with Carter uh, explaining that Stark's confession is, of course, fake. By the way, Matt, it's Miss Carter now. She's been fired from the SSR. Well, I hope that the person who fired her doesn't, you know, uh, lose out on an opportunity to officially sign those firing papers, thereby retaining her as an agent. But, but I'm probably I getting ahead of myself. I have a feeling he's in between things right now. <laughs> he's all over the place right now. Um, in the conference room here with the chief, uh, he asks, you know, uh, why are you telling me this now? Uh, and uh, this is about trust, Matt. Uh, Dr. Ivchenko, that they can't trust him. Jarvis saw this too, but of course, as if they're going to believe him. Chief explains that the doctor is a good man. He's done nothing but help us. Um, but the idea of uh, their word comes up and uh, Peggy, of course, produces the sphere with the vial and uh, Chief had a, a, a great piece of dialogue there. You know, what is this going to blow up or do something else or mix me a, a proper old fashioned? <laughs> <laughs> um you know, all this amounts to Sousa believing uh, in Peggy and, um, you know, the chief winds up back in his office and suspicious of the doctor now asks him to close the window. Agents head into the other building across the way where Dottie has been laying in wait. Um, and, and then in the doctor. This, in this act thus far, there's kind of been a nice little seuss a transformation because he says in the conference room um well peggy says uh, about ivchenko we don't know him he's only been here 48 hours right. and seuss rather rather accusingly says but we know you so the fact that the fact that then in the next scene or or two seuss you know searches his gut and searches his instincts and says you know what i overall have to trust her it's kind of the even though he's been so good to her in the past, he's kind of the last one to put that to put that stamp uh, that stamp of approval on which side of the boat you know our SSR uh, heroes and and they have become heroes in these last seven episodes. These guys, uh, which side of the of the fence they're going to be on regarding whether to trust her or not. And Chief Dooley is made to focus by the doctor. Uh, flashes back to uh, their tradition at home, why that flashback at the beginning of the episode was so important. And uh, suddenly the act ends. There were people on Twitter saying, oh, I like Agent Carter more than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I would personally disagree just because the greater number of episodes for S.H.I.E.L.D. and the greater twists and turns, I think, lend itself lend itself to a deeper opportunity to kind of you know love those characters and whatnot that said the fact that these agent carter episodes need to be so self-reliant if you will the fact that as you just pointed out pete we need to have a scene explaining uh how these mind flashes for lack of a better word that if jenko can can bring about in people we right. need to see that done once so we can see it done a second and a third time to Dooley. 
you know, that needs to be done. So it's done at the top of the episode. It happens to be great character stuff at the top of the episode. On top of it, it's setting up a story function, which which then resonates profoundly through the episode. And we're kind of able to have that through line, not the, you know, remember back in there was a line in the in the November episode before there was two weeks off and then Thanksgiving where there was something about a thing. This is just it has to be self-contained. So it's kind of almost a a higher proof drink, if you will. And um, and uh, certainly something I, you know, I, I hope that Marvel TV has learned something from this shorter format that they can tease out to 13 and 22 episodes. Couldn't agree more on the differences between the two series um, and being able to, I mean, listen, this show has been what it had to and, and what it deserves to be. And that's not a knock. Uh, you know, we, we entered into this with the idea it was going to be eight episodes. The likelihood that it's only ever going to be eight episodes is, is very, very high. So to embrace this for what this is and what they've given us, it's a good thing. Um, and you get this characterization, not only with the good guys that we've gotten to know, we have to get to know the bad guys that much more quickly. You know, we've hinted at this mind power that, uh, you know, Dr. Ivchenko possesses with uh, Agent Yawk last week. And now to see it in action in this episode, you know, there's that payoff that um, comes across with it. You know, the only thing I could have asked for in the flashback around the uh, the dinner table there with uh, the chief's family was to see his estranged uh, brother Enoch Thompson and uh, <laughs> his uh, his wife with him from Boardwalk Empire. I just thought that would have been, you know, the the perfect uh, thing. But I can understand getting getting Skimmy in there, uh, you know, <laughs> for a rate is kind of hard. <laughs> Not meant to be, I suppose. Yep. Act three, agents in an elevator. And then the uh, the chief is bringing Peggy and Jarvis suddenly into the interrogation room and pulls a gun on them, Matt. A shocking uh, moment, to be sure. And uh, a good little bit of mystery, because I had actually sent you a text as the chief locks the door and, of course, you know, snaps his key in there. It happened so quickly. I sent you a text to say, what's keeping Peggy and Jarvis in the room there? And it wasn't quite clear to to either of us. And, of course, after a couple of other scenes, uh, many of which are, are across, <laughs> either across the hall or across, in the building across the, the street, um, that gets answered. But kudos to the pacing here. They move so fast that we don't know why Peggy and Jarvis just can't kind of find their way out quickly. Right. He snaps the key off, of course, in the uh, the lock um, and explains to a, an agent who looks out, oh, you know, she's just about ready to crack. I'm going to give her five minutes. <laughs> um, you know, Dottie, meanwhile, is uh, looking around out in the hallway and uh, Sousa is the closest to her. Chief is then in the lab and... Uh, He's uh, talking to three scientists he has there with the doctor. Had to be a little suspicious. All these places, this Russian doctor that they've known for 48 hours is suddenly granted access to. I, I get it. He's with the chief. It was the only red, pun intended, herring for me in this episode was, you know, how freely he's running around the SSR. 
I think given the pace and constraints of the uh, of not particularly just this episode, but this episode, next episode, the end, plus the fact that the show, to be fair, has addressed it um, at least once in the, this episode, you know, maybe twice, where you just have that moment of, really, Chief, you okay with this? And it's like, yeah, I'm good with this. Go get to work. You know, I mean, at least the show is kind of acknowledging some people aren't sure about this, and Chief runs a tight ship, and Chief said so, so get the heck out of the way. Right. So suddenly those doctors are headed for the interrogation room and uh, Dr. Ivchenko reveals that he wants um, Howard Stark's item 17. Matt, item 17? Well, Pete, of course, we know item 47 uh, from the uh, – the, what, what was that one shot? Oh, the, the one shot was called item 47, right? Yes, on uh, the Avengers Blu-ray. Itself kind of a precursor to, uh, well, frankly, a precursor to Marvel television as a thing. It kind of was, you know, an, uh, an early concept for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, we know 081, um, although I don't know that that was headed towards the Stark stockpile. Um, 084? Pete, 084, 081, my bad there. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we have not forgotten you. It's been a little while. We're, we're coming back to you. You're still our best gal. Um, we did have a 187 in this episode, so I can understand your confusion. Hey, you know what, Pete? It's all the lingo. It, it's, it's, it's how they keep us out using this, this kind of professional lingo. But we're, we're in. We're in with these people. Um, Speaking of being in, Matt... Dr. Imchenko, he was in the circle. He heard whispers about this item 47. Um, suddenly, he's got a strange vest in his hands, but they locate item 17 in a crate. Um, you know, this is what the doctor wants as he prizes. Oh, Pete, this is what the doctor ordered, you should have yes, said. Yes, well, but he said, this is what I want. <laughs> and we're not allowed, of course, to look at it until the end of the episode. Leaving us to say, what's in the box? What's in the box, indeed. Um, uh, side note, little disappointed after all the buildup that we would find out what's in the box. But hey, we still have one more episode left. I'm um, not, and we'll talk about that a little later on. With that, Pete, we're back across the street, and, you know, Sousa must be a fan of the uh, 1930s radio show The Shadow, because he does such a poor job letting his be seen as he stands there with a the gun, <laughs> knowing that there's probably, or maybe not probably, but knowing that they're searching for a psycho killer assassin lady, and, you know, he's standing backlit by, by the sun. Well, like the riddle of the Sphinx there, his shadow has three legs, uh, despite the fact he yells freeze to Dottie. There's a, a, a really fast-paced crutch fight. Uh, he's able to get to his gun, uh, but and Dottie says, stairs, those are for people that haven't been to the Red Room boarding school. And... Uh, Proceeds to go down the uh, the middle of the uh, the staircase there until uh, she's all the way at the bottom. That was uh, that was pretty cool. Pete, as somebody on Twitter, and I apologize, I don't have the person's name in front of me, but as somebody on Twitter said, that was one of the best stunts I've ever seen on the TV show. I wholeheartedly agree. 
the only way it could have been more amazing if it was like with less cuts, you know, probably hiding wires showing and that sort of thing. But for a TV show budget, for an eight episode TV show budget, that was absolutely fantastic. Forget even the fact that it is fiction and constructed and a TV show. What we saw that character doing was absolutely awesome. I think the flourish at the end sold it. You know, she jumps in front of the agent who's got the gun on her and she smiles. And that's all we see. Yeah. Um, You know, the doctor then thanks the chief. Uh, You know, he he seems to kind of be with it a little bit. He says, I feel like I should keep this. But he's urged again to voc to uh, vocus. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Vocus. Um, You're going to take the the vest here, chief. You know, your family's waiting was a a little bit of a a line portending some doom. Um, And uh, Thompson finds that they have an agent down. Dottie picks up the doctor, uh, explains that the item was in storage. We must test it. Uh, Dottie's concerned that uh, now they know. And he explains, of course, that they're too busy to concentrate or perhaps, Matt, to focus. <laughs> and, you know, the way Dottie catchers up with Ivchenko, you certainly can say that she's in a league of her own. Beginning of Act 4 has Peggy and Jarvis using a table they are handcuffed to as a battering ram against the mirrors. Jarvis uh, not being the... Uh, the the tough uh, agent like Peggy uh, has all the what ifs come to mind. What if there are people on the other side of this? What if there are people with guns, et cetera, et cetera? Come to find out there are no people. Everybody wins except they are still attached to the table. The, given the, the pace of this episode where so much action is going on, character payoff, so on and so forth – this was such a wonderful scene. They slowed the pace down almost to a stop. The show was doing it intentionally, just encouraging us to just luxuriate in the in the comedy of the moment, despite all the tragedy, you know, going on uh, around them and and further tragedy about to happen before the the episode ends. Just just a really funny bit, great character moment, and and just a welcome change in the pace. That we slow things down means we appreciate the speed that the rest of the episode has all the better. And where's chief Dooley, Matt? He's in his fake mind world. Oh no, he's no, no, he's not. He's gone home. You, you, you don't come home to your child painting at the kitchen table, a, a, a birdhouse, you know, I don't get that. None of that paint there on the table. And, uh, your wife says, Oh, you know, you, you came home early. You said five. We get a name for the first time, Roger. Um, you know, what are you up to, Roger? What happened? He explains there was a guy in custody. I let him out. He just walked out. I'm angry. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why I did it. The idyllic music is playing in the background. I think I heard birds chirping. They kiss. The boy starts to hammer. And then just this great kind of cut to the the banging, you know, the hammer sound leading to the banging of uh, Thompson at all banging on the door. Side note, if the chief is in that bad kind of shape, why don't you break the window and get in there? Because he's clearly in some sort of distress. But Pete, the situation is heating up because he's wearing a vest. 
possibly some sort of Stark armor thing. What? Yeah, Crazy? I, I, I have to say, while I did like what they explained with this vest that was desi- designed for the, you know, colder theaters of war to warm them up and was a self-sustaining battery and all this other stuff. I really would have liked if it was somehow connected to the, to the armor would have been cool. Um, you know, but suddenly it's glowing. Um, this, uh, this prototype, it it was armor. It also doubled as a heat source. You know, I I would have liked to have seen, and I, I like the glowing thing, but if we could have connected it to the, to the Iron Man armor, I think everybody would have won. Uh, Peggy wants the scientists here. They run and get them. Uh, Sousa, meanwhile, across the street, finds Dottie's uh, case for her um, her armament and the note uh, about the item. And, and not just uh, that, the note, kill Peggy Carter, which is yeah. the show saying, look, Sousa, the guy who's willing to call it as straight as possible treat her good because she's a good agent, treat her bad because there's evidence that she's a bad agent. He just found the proof. This is a get out of jail free card. Right. The chief explains that, uh, he cannot let, they cannot let the doctor talk to them. Um, the vest of course is locked on. It's an alloy of, uh, Howard Stark's own creation. So of course there's no fail safe. And uh, Peggy says we could pack it with ice. Jarvis explains it would, of course, be impervious to that. It's in its final stages here. So we're rapidly coming to the realization of what is going to happen. And Um, Pete, before we get to that sad moment, a little bit heavy hand of the writer here. I get that Stark makes half brilliant, half crazy prototypes that sometimes wildly or or, or just just you know don't work or don't work as intended. Just to review here, Stark armor, which is also like heat up Jimmy Jammies, which also when you put it on the first time, it locks and won't let you out, and enters some increasing loop where it will either fry you slowly or you know explodes. <laughs> just to and look again i understand the show is under certain pacing constraints eight episodes so on and so forth just a little i would have done if there was one less bit of information in there that would have been okay by me where it's just it's it it's everything and also exactly what the show needs because they want to head to a certain uh to a certain point uh for the series and for the episode uh which which happens quite quickly yeah um, the scientists don't know what to do, but the chief knows what must be done. He takes a gun there. He tells them, uh, he tells Thompson specifically to tell his family, I'm sorry, I missed dinner. And, uh, to Peggy, he says, promise me you'll take care of this. The vest starts to flash. He runs, shoots and blows up in the New York skyline between the two buildings. I was really pretty surprised that they went there. Not surprised given that we didn't see uh, Chief Dooley in the one shot, which we now apparently know is the end of this series. But I think, you know, the, the weight of the sacrifice there, um, it's a bold choice I'm behind it. 
but I was taken aback by it. Modern TV has has a certain luxury that uh, that you know more old fashioned TV does not. In that you know characters or people in real life sometimes have to pay a price and pay an ultimate price. And given that since Krasminski died, I don't know off the top of my head that anybody that we particularly care about on any level has died. Um, you didn't care about Agent Yawk. I did. Um, Agent Yawk was Matt new. Matt doesn't care about Agent Yawk, everybody. Well, how about this? I was sympathetic to him, but the notion that this is a character who's been with us since day one of the series and now won't be here next week, um, it, that, that that saddens me. And I think that that was, that was an effective use of, uh, well, I mean, frankly, of sacrificing a character to make an emotional point. So... Uh, a, a heavy, heavy burden to pay. And as you say, Pete, as was said to us uh, on Twitter by uh, AV Mets Jets, something that I had not uh, not heard before he said that, that apparently the end of the season, end of the series. But uh, Pete, uh, here we are. Bottom line, we're without uh, we're without Chief Dooley for sure. Slow clock exit like 24 that would have been the only thing that would have uh put it to bed yeah yeah with that pete we get our act break and uh to what do we return well of course uh susa didn't see this so he's got to be the one to ask what happened thompson explains they got the chief peggy feels like she did this and jarvis has to be the one to walk her back from that it was uh, Howard's bloody invention. Um, but they come back to the idea of the blood that, uh, Brannis, uh, wanted one thing. So, uh, Peggy and, uh, company run to see that it's still there. Meanwhile, Matt, we go to the movies. Dottie's there with her baby carriage. You know, there's uh, other patrons who are understandably upset. You know, you brought the baby to the picture. Um, She reaches into the carriage where, of course, there is a cylindrical device with uh, look like a pressure uh, gauge at the top there that activates. She leaves during the cartoon, which is never good form. (laughs) Uh, And the doctor bars the door. Dottie asks, do you think it'll work? And Dr. Evchenko explains, he has a great faith in Mr. Stark's inventions. (laughs) More faith than we do sometimes. The blood is still in the lab, so breathe a sigh of relief there. Um, But they need to find out what was taken. They search, and of course it was item 17 that's gone. What does it do? The scientists, not very good at what they do. They have no idea. Ditto for Jarvis, who uh, similarly has no idea, leaving literally everyone in this circle, the scientists, Jarvis, and we, the viewers, at least at this point, unsure as to what this stuff does. But as the movie's ending, the coughs begin to cascade, um, and suddenly people are beating the crap out of one another. <laughs> and Pete, uh, long-time listeners might remember back to our Captain America, the Winter Soldier <laughs> podcast. And if you haven't listened to that, it's worth it just for this anecdote. So don't give too much away, Matt. 
I'll, I'll just say, because I, I think that's entirely in our secret scene, as I recall. But let's just say, Pete, uh, there must have been some of that angry gas in the theater that day, given the, uh, let's just say, the the polite uh, request that I made to the patrons behind us to shut the H-E double hockey sticks up. I believe we had just come from Chili's, so I think there was some gas involved. <laughs> there is, of course, a couple running late to the picture, which doesn't exactly make sense because the movie seemed like it was ending. Um, but uh, they have the usher bring them down there, Matt, because they want to get their money's worth. And unfortunately, they find everybody dead well pete perhaps they would have been happier if they uh, helped out their podcast pals by heading over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek that's a way that you could lend a hand with some of our storage and bandwidth costs associated with the fantastic geek puff family of podcasts we also have some rewards there for uh, for people who are lending a hand so please do head to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and that would be much appreciated what lunkheads deserve some time in the joint this list of baddies will tell us just that pete have to begin with dr ivchenko tonight the pivotal flashback into his past helping uh private nacheki there through his amputation so of course we're gonna understand that he's had his soul amputated with what he ultimately does to Chief Roger Dooley in this episode. It's interesting to think that uh, he doesn't do anything um, that is particularly new in this episode. You know, I mean, obviously it's the chief who's killed this time and not Yao, but um, he doesn't do anything that is particularly unexpected to us, yet he's still absolutely fabulous combination of actor, writing, uh, and etc., Pete, can the same be said for Dottie, who I'm sure is still in the uh, in the lineup here? She is squarely to see her in the um, the the baby store. There added for me an, another level of menace, and it it echoes back so nicely with you know her making as a as a child soldier. So to see it come full circle. And the fact that, you know, she can't get a good night's sleep without the handcuffs on, you know, they really did a job on her to the point where nothing is sacred to, you know, walk around. This is a woman in her her vital years pretending she's expecting so that she can get a baby carriage so she can perpetrate this heinous, gaseous crime. Pretty tough. Given that it is now clear that she is uh, she's the pawn of her her you know her masters, if Jenko included, it just adds to this um, this wonderful presentation that the character has, where there really is a part of her that's dead, and it's only with repeated viewings of the character that you see through her smile and realize that that she is obviously kind of numb somewhere deep inside, um, but. But when you first meet her, it's just, oh, wow, she's from she's from middle of you know, the, the, the middle of the country and she just loves to dance. And it, it comes off, you know, it, it initially comes off as wholesome, but instead it's just nothingness that's that's inside her as a character. Absolutely fabulous. 
the only flaw in her handling was that we didn't get enough fake front story. Uh, yeah, we got, all right, she's from middle America and everything. Would have been nice to get a couple more scenes before we knew her as the bad guy um, throughout this season. But again, we're, we're dealing with, you know, uh, a little more than a third of a regular broadcast hour long schedule. Yeah. Final, like the, I was oh, going to say, I like to think that if, if this was a 10 episode uh, season, as opposed to eight, then maybe there'd be, you know, a couple episodes where it's like, Oh, there's that nice dancer back at the hotel right. who she likes to knit and she talks about chicken soup or, you know, that kind of thing. But alas, pacing again. Finally, the chief, at least briefly winds up in our dossier tonight, the way they, you know, uh, manipulate him mentally and we're even left guessing when he grabs the gun, what he's going to do just for a second there, but it's for the good of his agents and the SSR that he sacrifices himself, but not before he allows Dr. Evchenko to leave with some more of Stark's bad babies and really set up our finale the chief comes out clean in the end uh but of course paying a heavy price for uh for his many misdeeds classified top secret holy mackerel time to take a gander with the g-men don't want you to know and pete i have a question for you is dr ivchenko one of those special powered inhuman folks or is there some other kind of mechanism here behind his uh his powers it's a good question to ask. I think it's a little too cutesy considering the power. You know, we've seen him twist the wedding band as if that's some kind of device into this. So I'm heavily leading on the side of no. Some sort of power ring? That wouldn't make a particularly compelling character for a TV or movie. Pete, do you have any mysteries you'd like to discuss? Matt, item 17, and that we've seen S.H.I.E.L.D. go as high as item 47. Not to say that the two are definitively connected. You know, we've since brought up the concept of 084s, which the item 47 retconning, of course, 084 hadn't been written to that point. It would be an 084. So this item 17, what is it? Well, let me disagree slightly with what you just said. As I recall from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it was in the waning days of World War II when uh, Peggy Carter and Dum Dum Dugan and uh, the Howling Commandos broke into that German slash Hydra um, location. And I thought that the 084 number was an SSR number. And I thought that these item numbers were kind of of Stark's cache of uh, of of goodies then Um, why does the chitauri weapon get an item number well i think that that is it's the 47th item after the battle of new york uh it's confusing man it's confusing i agree this is part of more that that government doublespeak pete for a universe where it's always you know so well intertwined it's it's confusing on the 
German Nazi Hydra list of items. It goes all the way up to 084, and they found a thing. For the Stark item list, there's at least 17. Uh, and then for the Battle of New York alien cleanup job, there's at least 47 things. It doesn't work for me. But anyway, what is item 17? Well, I feel like what we saw tonight was um, uh, it was benign for me as a as a consumer of the story. Obviously, there was you know 20 some odd people who killed each other in this you know mad, mad rage in the movie theater. I'm left kind of a little confused in terms of if it was just the one canister and now they've left that in there, then how are they going to retrieve it? Because this was the trial run to see if there's going to be more next week. I mean, these are all questions, of course, that are going to be answered, but I don't quite see how all that effort was worth it. Like that's what they, that's what all this has been about to retrieve you know, gas that makes people kill each other. Well, gee whiz, you could break a natural gas line and people will die. It won't be, you know, fantastic rage, but you can still kill people that way. So I don't, I don't get the totality of it. Well, I mean, just thinking out loud with the red menace that's coming by the fifties and how everybody will be so scared of Communism, the idea that you could disperse this gas and a country would rip itself apart and then potentially open it up for colonization, unlike the effects of a nuclear bomb. Um, I think it makes it a little bit more desirable. I, of course, prefer to think of this as the rage virus from 28 Days Later. I see what you're saying about its potential as a as a weapon. My only concern is the example of that weapon is back in the movie theater, and I don't I don't yet understand how um, how how Dottie and Doctor Ivchenko get it back. But I guess we'll find out next week because if we don't find out next week, I don't think we're going to be finding out at least for this particular storyline. Long distance. We want you to flap your lips, write a telegram, or even send us uh, the Twitter. And of course, Pete, at this point next week, we'll be announcing a uh, the winner of a prize, uh, reviewing us on the iTunes. Any other communiques for this week? We have not received any new reviews on iTunes for our Agent Carter podcast. We have received... A few for our Daredevil podcast. I will remind all of our listeners that any review for either of those two podcasts between now and when we go to air on Tuesday, February 24th, approximately 10 o'clock Eastern time, will be entered in a drawing that will happen during next week's Agent Carter uh, finale that uh, will be eligible to uh, earn the uh, Funko Pop Marvel Howard the Duck bobblehead. So um, you can review one, you can review both and get your name in there twice and double your odds. Um, However you're going to do it, you need to do it. You got one more week. You really help us out. You help other listeners find us. Um, so please, uh, give us a hand with that and, uh, maybe take something home as a result of your help. 
Pete, I'll just quickly mention one message that was sent to us on Twitter by iHeartMR, who said, uh, by the way, the rage gas may have been what happened at Finau, just a theory. Um, I like that theory. I think that- it's more than a, I think it's more than a theory. Um, it definitely smacks of that. I'm stunned we've seen um, Howard Stark as little in this series as we have. And obviously next week is going to be a big episode, not just for him, but for everybody involved. Here's my theory about that. He Dominic Cooper held out so long to to sign in the series. I think that had he signed when Haley Atwell did, I think it would have been not Jarvis. It would have been, you you know, would have been Stark in the place of Jarvis in some degree. Obviously, the, the intricacies of these last couple episodes notwithstanding. Um I think Jarvis is stark in terms of how you start to break this this as a storyline out six months ago, eight months ago, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, I assume he'll be back next week, though. I look forward to that. Oh, he will. Pete, speaking of people being back, people are always back talking to you on Twitter because you're practically a person of Gujarati fame. How can people be in touch with you? Well, you can find me on the Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. Exactly 5,200 followers. Can't be wrong. Pete, while people can be in touch with me personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the radio program by reaching out for Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH in plenty of ways. Send us an electronic letter on the Gmail, post a note on the dot com, or tweet us your telegraphs to Twitter. Don't forget, Fantastic Geek is the way to go. And Pete, I understand we can still go to one more place to say hi to those fantastic, fantastic geeks. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fantastic with a PH geek. Uh, just another way to keep in touch. Pete, here we are. One more episode left of the series. Probably two left for the podcast. We'll do a, a season, hopefully not series, wrap up uh, shortly thereafter. But with that, I will say goodbye, good night, good luck, one and all. Pete, with what wacky words will you close tonight? Hey, Matt, can you please pass the popcorn? <laughs> <laughs>